0: at least for the next uh, several weeks, I would like us to uh, pursue a, a short series through perhaps one of the most memorable chapters in the Bible, uh, the chapter of love that is found in First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll actually begin to consider this chapter, the first three verses. But because the last verse of chapter 12 properly belongs with it, and let's just remember that the verses and the chapter divisions that you find in your Bibles are not themselves inspired. They oftentimes are helpful for us to find and locate places the division between chapter 12, verse 31, and chapter 13 is, is artificial, and I think we need to read these four verses together. So, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, let us begin there, and so read the first three verses of chapter 13. Again, hear now God's word. But covet earnestly, that is, desire earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Paul, who writes to these early Christians in the Greek city of Corinth, uh, Corinth was at that time uh, a seaside city. it still is to the present day. and in those days it was a it was a town uh, that was known by a mix of different peoples and cultures. It's a maritime uh, city with with uh, sea uh, traffic through ships coming in and going out and well as I'm sure it wouldn't surprise you it being a sailor's town was not exactly well known for virtue and decency. Well, in what in many ways was a very sewer of sin, God had called a number of people from their uncleanness to be cleansed and washed by faith in Jesus Christ. And let us remember let us remember that there is no one so filthy that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot cleanse him. That we are not to rule anyone out and say, oh, she is just so past all possibility of recovery. No. The Apostle Paul, after going through a kind of catalog of all different kinds of, of evil, wicked uh, Godless types of people, he says, now just remember, such were some of you, but you are cleansed, you are washed, you are justified. But in many ways, though they were saved, they were still immature. They were like children, and children, you know, they can be so very full of energy full of life, and they they give seasoning uh, to those of us who have more and more gray hairs on our head. But they can also be troublesome. They can be nuisances. They can so easily get distracted and uh, into trouble. And So the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's dealing in some respects with those who are spiritually immature. They're Christians. Many of them are genuine Christians, although let's always remember that even among the holiest Christians, there are always hypocrites, who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, but who do not have the real faith that the Lord Jesus Christ calls for. And so they will be cast into outer darkness. And we're actually going to be speaking a bit about that as we make our way through this glorious chapter. And one of the aspects of their immaturity... And their childishness is the fact that at this time, the Lord had poured special gifts upon his church. This is what we call uh, the the time period of the the age of the apostles, the apostolic age. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who had various uh, uh, signs and wonders that he performed to authenticate his message, he gave those to the apostles. He spoke of them as signs of the apostles. These signs shall follow the, the band of the twelve as they go throughout the world and preach the gospel. And so when we read in Acts of the Apostles, we see Peter and, and Paul and, and James and John. They're healing and curing and, and doing wonders. It was a special time. It was a unique time. Now, as the apostles have departed us, and as the New Testament was settled into its final form, what we often call the canon of Scripture, those, uh, those special gifts largely fell away. Now, there are other Christians, perhaps you know, that claim that they didn't. Now, we could talk at length about that right now, and we're not going to. Uh, But if you're interested, feel free to to ask me afterwards. Uh, But we would disagree that the Lord generally does what he did in the age of the apostles, such as people spontaneously speaking in languages that they had never learned instantaneously. And others being able, not even knowing that language, to to translate it, to translate it spontaneously. Well, well, these things, people can mimic and and attempt to to do these things, but those who are sober-minded and who really study the Scriptures have serious doubts about such claims. But at this at this time very clearly God is working he is doing these things and these Corinthians have these gifts and abilities but like little children who have been given special gifts they're they're immature they don't know how to handle them and they're so preoccupied with this gift and that miraculous ability and 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 uh, they're not thinking about how how any of this can serve the benefit of my brother or my sister in church, but it's all about me. It's about grandstanding. It's about getting attention, like like little children. Hey, look at me. So Paul gives regulations in chapters 12 and 14. He doesn't say, now don't do these things. Don't exercise these gifts. They're from the Lord. But he points them to things that is something that is even more important than any of those gifts. That is love. But covet or desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. It is the way of love. The way of, as our authorized version puts it, charity. Charity. Biblical love. Well, let us consider these four verses under the heading The Surpassing Excellence of Charity or Love. The Surpassing Excellence of Charity or Love. First, Paul exalts love Negatively. Paul exalts love negatively, or maybe another way of putting it is, by the back door. Now, beginning at verse 4, he launches into this beautiful tribute to love, Christian love, not its lookalikes, and we're going to be considering many lookalikes, false loves, pretenders, but the real virtue of Christian love is far superior to any other even miraculous gift that the Lord may have given at any time. But he begins in the first three verses by the back door. What he does is he surveys many of these things that they were they were just preoccupied with like like children who who they have these new shiny toys and they're just so preoccupied with them and and there's some jealousies that set in because so and so has this gift and oh I, or maybe some sense of inferiority well sister so and so is able to do this but i don't have that so i must not be be that important that's That's why in chapter 12, he speaks about the church as the body, and though some are hands, others' feet, and others' eyes, they're all a part of the body. Some seemingly more important, but none unimportant and all equally valuable. But as he makes this great tribute to Christian love, And says, if you want to be focused on, if you want to be preoccupied with, if you want to be passionate about anything, don't settle for anything less. The tongues of men and angels, that's pretty impressive. The ability to speak in foreign languages without having ever gone to school, ever spent three to four months immersing oneself in a culture where you you just eat and drink and smell a different language. But no, instantaneously, Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden these men, who have never learned any of these languages instantaneously. The Spirit comes upon them, and they begin speaking clearly, coherently. And others who are from these different parts of the world, we hear, we hear them speaking in our own language, and we know these are just rustic fishermen. If I were to speak some, some dialect, perhaps a Swahili, perhaps uh, perhaps some other uh, foreign language like Mandarin, and you all knew that I had never studied it, and yet, I'm speaking it, and you don't know, but you know somebody in the church who says, "That is flawless Mandarin." And he's speaking the wonderful works of God. These are impressive things. But Paul says, nah, that's not as impressive as you think. The gift of prophecy. Understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. Or having faith so that you could speak to this mountain. Be uprooted, mountain. And be cast into the sea, and it will be done for you. Didn't Jesus say that a true believer, if he had genuine faith, would be able to do such a thing? And yet what Paul is doing, by going through the list of all these things that are so very impressive, and he's just just crossing them off. He's, He's getting the Corinthians ready to hear the more excellent way. He's bringing them through the back door. So before I extol and lift up this beautiful, glorious virtue of love, let's understand first that these things that are so absorbing you are not half as important as you're making them out to be. We live in a postmodern age. And the postmodern outlook tells us that everything is relative. Well, as Christians, we know that not everything is relative. There are some things that are absolutely true. No amount of gender bending can change the fact that one is born male or female. It's not assigned at birth. It is understood by simply opening your eyes. There are absolute truths, but it is true that some things are relative compared to others. So, the Lord has given prophecy. Daniel is taken up, transported in a vision. And he sees wonderful things of God and they're recorded in Scripture for us. Peter, when he's on the roof there in Joppa, he's praying and all of a sudden he enters into a kind of a trance. And he sees this, this, this carpet descending from heaven with all kinds of animals that had been forbidden for Jews to eat. And he hears a voice, rise Peter, kill and eat. Now these things I'd say are pretty important. But Paul is saying, there's a higher level. There's something more important. In fact, surpassingly more important. And if you don't appreciate that, you will lose perspective. Oh, dear friends, it's so easy, even as Christians, to lose perspective, to get distracted To lose our bearings. And so Paul, in this chapter, sets forth to these childish, immature Christians. And does he not set it forth to us? Even some of us may be seasoned Christians, but let's be honest, many times we just act like little children. We need perspective. And that's one of the reasons why we so desperately need to be in the house of God. Because we will easily lose perspective. And there will be real things that are preoccupying our attention. But they're not as important as we're making them out to be. So first, in these opening verses... Chapter twelve, thirty-one to the third verse of chapter 13, Paul exalts love negatively. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy. It's like uh, tossing up a, a, another, another softball. No, not this one, not that one. Second, Paul exalts love by comparing and contrasting. So he draws us in by the back door. He's getting the Corinthians ready by talking down gifts of God. Isn't that striking? That he should have to talk down like a, like a salesman who says, you see, this this vehicle that, that you want to purchase, it's got many features that are not, they don't work quite right. They, 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 they end up causing more headaches than they're worth. It gets bad gas mileage. Well, you know, some unprincipled salesman may uh, talk things down farther down than is actually fair and decent because, you see, they're not interested in, in uh, helping many times but rather in getting what they can but the holy apostle Paul is talking down these gifts not because they are, inv- they are uh, unimportant God has in fact given them but because by comparison they are nowhere near as important as love Think about it this way. The Apostle Paul takes us through three math equations. Oh, pastor, I've done enough math this week. Do I have to engage in any more? Well, uh, this is much easier than I think uh, you'll uh, think at the moment. Well, what he does is he first adds several weighty things together into one massive sum. Then he takes that total and subtracts love. So add this and add this and add this. Do all this addition, but subtract love. And what do you have? Nothing. He adds these gifts that are weighty. Speaking in foreign tongues, which is, miraculously, in order to be a sign to unbelievers. That gets attention. It's given by the Spirit of God. These are weighty things. And how much more weighty would it be if... Paul says, in theory, not only I could speak in these foreign tongues of men that I've never learned, but what if I were even to uh, add something more? There's another language uh, that I have on my, on my resume, the language of angels. What, what if that? Let's add that in. These are weighty gifts. The gift of Prophecy. The gift that was given to Moses and David and to the Apostle Paul. Did he not understand mysteries in a most profound way? We're still going to the Apostle Paul 2,000 years later. under the guidance of the Spirit of God who is able to explain so much of the inner reasoning of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, he spoke with tongues. But he said, I would rather speak three words in a known tongue and edify and profit my brother than a thousand Words in an unknown tongue. He said, I I speak in tongues more than you all. But you see, my perspective is different because I'm interested in love, in loving God and in loving my fellow man, not in strutting around and impressing people, much less using these things as tools to fleece them. how many pretenders there are among Christian pastors who can't even demonstrate in any meaningful way that they have these miraculous gifts. It's all usually very staged and artificial. But they sure look impressive when they're driving their Maserati with all the money from people who still have terminal cancer. But prophecy and understanding mysteries, this is not the the facade. This is the reality. You see, just as there are false teachers, so there are true teachers. Just as there is darkness, so there also is light. And God, by the Holy Spirit... The Apostle Peter said he came on these men of God. Holy men of God in ancient times spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. These are weighty gifts. You can add in gift upon gift. Pile them all up. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Notice how he he doesn't say some, he says all. He He reaches for the ceiling of what you can imagine. If I had the ability to understand not just a few, not just some, but all mysteries, and you would hang on my every word. I am a kind of oracle and people are coming to you. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, if I have not charity, I am nothing. You see, this is what he does. is He adds all these things, these weighty, important, useful things that God has actually given to his church. And yet you subtract love and what? I am Notice how he even uses the first person singular. Theoretically, if I, the Apostle Paul, have all these gifts and yet I did not have love, it profits me nothing. Though I should bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. Here, here he transitions from, from gifts into moral a uh, strength and virtue and yet however impressive it would be to sell all our goods and give to the poor and even to give our body to be burned if if i have not love it profits me nothing Cyprian said, such a one may be slain, but he cannot be crowned. Why? Because he lacks love. Now, it may seem unlikely. Wouldn't it seem kind of unlikely that you would just simply give up all your goods to feed the poor and even go all the way the length of martyrdom if you didn't have love? But here is the powerful reality of self-deception. And you can see it in many different religions among many people who devote themselves to such extremes, giving up their possessions, taking vows of celibacy. They're never going to enjoy the marital bond. And they're going to take a vow of poverty. Some even in the Philippines come Easter time. They they actually experience something akin to crucifixion. That's what they think that they should be doing. How many? How many men deluded with the false teachings of Muhammad and being promised a hundred virgins in paradise? will go to their death. But you can impress people with all these different things. You see, God can give and often does give natural gifts, even spiritual, miraculous gifts unto various individuals, and yet they don't really have love to God and their fellow man. It all comes back to themselves. Now you say, Pastor, is that possible? For somebody to actually have miraculous gifts and not to be really converted? Well, our Lord Himself told us many, He doesn't just say a few, Many will say to me on the final day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name have we not cast out devils and done many good and wonderful works? And then I will say unto them, depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. One day after our Lord Jesus Christ sent the disciples to go and preach the kingdom of God with the power of miracles, the disciples came back to Jesus and they were excited. You know why they were excited? Master, we've been preaching in your name and the devils are subject to us. And what does Jesus say? He says, do not rejoice that the devils are subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Now that's pretty striking. I mean, this is jaw-dropping stuff. The kind of things that if we were to observe them, there would be no doubt among us whatsoever. It's not staged. It's not artificial. There's no long uh, a group of people going home disappointed because there are only a limited number who are going to get healed today. Of course, they don't say that on the front end. But they're hearing through their earpiece That it's time to wrap up. You can have all these things, and they can be real. Judas himself was among the twelve who cast out demons. Are we going to see Judas in heaven? That's fearful. That's a fearful thing. And think about the power upon one's own psychology when you have these powers. And yet, no love. No real love. You're not the real deal. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity and have not love, it profits me nothing. I have nothing. I am nothing. So first, Paul exalts love negatively. That is by the back door. He goes down the list of all the things that the Corinthians counted as so very important. And they were in their place but they were exaggerating them far beyond proportion and they had lost sight of what was infinitely more valuable. He exalts love negatively by comparing and contrasting the tongues of men and angels The gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries, having all knowledge, having all faith so that I could remove mountains. Without love, nothing. Third, Paul does all this to challenge and to change their minds and more their hearts. Their minds need to be challenged. They may be children, but they got gray matter between the ears. And if they are genuine Christians, and there were genuine Christians who were there, they're acting like little children, they're being immature, but the Lord through the Apostle Paul is correcting them and challenging their minds and making them think. And dear friends... Faithful preaching always challenges the minds of men. It doesn't just rubber stamp what they already think. Good for you. Pat yourself on the back. You're doing just fine. Those are wells without water, those are clouds without rain. It's a sad commentary on so many professing Christians that they are drawn not to faithful preachers who will tell them as it is and challenge their minds. To get them to reason the Lord. The Lord reasons with his people. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. If you actually read through the Gospels, notice how much reasoning Jesus has evolved in, in, in doing. He's challenging. He's asking provoking questions. He's upsetting what people think. We heard just in our reading earlier, not directly uh, re- relative uh, to what we're uh, considering, but remember that woman. And, and she's caught up with emotion and she said, Blessed is the mother at whose breast you nursed. Well, She was caught up with some emotion and she thought much of Christ, but Jesus doesn't just congratulate her. He says, blessed rather are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You see, it is special to be born to a godly woman and very special to be born as the seed of the woman. But lest people be taken up with the outward and the physical and the exterior privileges. He basically pulls the pin from the grenade and throws it right back. We need to be challenged. I show unto you a more excellent way. Boys and girls... Stop your silliness, your backwardness, your jealousies, your pettiness, your ambition, your wanting to be in the limelight, exercising your gifts, not because it pleases and glorifies God, but because other people will notice. Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Don't be like the Pharisees when they pray. They pray these long, elaborate prayers that other men may hear them and say, Oh, how holy they are. Paul does all of this to challenge and to change the minds of these believers, and so to challenge and to change our minds. And to say that the gifts of God, whether natural or supernatural gifts, are valuable, but they are vastly inferior to love. And if love is not at the helm, then all these things are nothing. And you may have all these things and you will be nothing. In fact, worse than nothing. Augustine gives an illustration in this connection of a surgeon who is speaking with a man who has a limb, a limb that must be amputated. You've got gangrene in your right leg, and if it is not amputated and cut off, you will die. Oh, but my left leg is perfectly, good. look how strong it is, I could run a race with this left leg. Or this hand, or, or this hand, or these eyes, or or these, these ear, this mouth. Have you ever heard me talk? I can really speak very profoundly, and people just hang on my every word. Yes, but if you don't cut off that leg, you're going to die. You see, if you lack love, it doesn't matter what else you have. You are nothing. These things will profit you nothing, and they will profit you nothing on the final day. And Jesus, who sees the hearts, says, I don't care about your long list of credentials. Did you love me? Did you keep my commandments? As we close, the Apostle is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as he was to those early Christians. And he is setting before us that which is of surpassing and preeminent value. But it's often not factored in it's often not put in the equation. Look at your ledger, and let's do the math. What do you have that makes you something that, that ends up being a prophet to you? And, and you can go down the list, and there may objectively be many gifts that the Lord has given to you. Maybe you don't have supernatural gifts. Even if I wanted to cure a a paralytic or a cancer patient, I'm not able to. I'm not foolish enough to even try or put up someone's hopes because I don't believe that Jesus has given me that power. Now, he has given me other gifts and abilities, and those remain unto the church. But even if I can preach the most powerful sermon and surpassed charles spurgeon in his ability to have people hanging on his word if i michael ives do not have genuine love it's nothing so now reread that into your life and heart what is profitable to you what's in the in the gain And the losses column, what do you have? But if you don't have love, what do you have? If you don't have love, you do not have that which is of far superior value to even the greatest and most striking and impressive gifts. which redeems all gifts and makes them profitable. That's, that's one of the many excellencies of love is that it can take a gift and it can harness it and channel it in love to God and my neighbor. And this love is eternal and heavenly. Indeed, it is a reflection of the very heart of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you don't have it, what are your gifts? Thomas Boston said, it is when a man... A man is sinking into hell. His gifts will be like a bag of gold on a drowning man. He's clutching his bag of gold as he drowns. What do you have? What gifts do you have? What is so impressive? And consider, as Boston says, the devil has greater gifts than the best gifted in the world. But what will all his gifts get him? But let us, let us who have actually received the love of God, let those of us who know that we love because he first loved us, let us strengthen. That love. Let us ripen that love. Let us pursue that love. Let us not despise whatever gifts that God has given to us, but let us subordinate them to love. That love says, This is how you use your ability to speak, this is how you use your personality, this is how you use your physical strength. You do it for God, and you do it for your neighbor, because he loved you. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Amen.